Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today is episode 84, and we're going to be interviewing Stephanie A. Good morning, Stephanie. How are we? Good morning. I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So we were just chatting, get to know each other a little bit. So I'm excited to hear your story. So let's dive in and get the party started. Tell us about growing up in your childhood. Okay. So um, I am the youngest child. It was me and my brother. I am the product of a functioning alcoholic father and a very enabling mother, but uh, she did the best that she could. So... I think like during my childhood, I was exposed to a lot of stuff. I saw like drinking and drug use and things like that. Um, how young were your memories of, of that? Do you remember like how far back your memory goes? Was it like two, three years old or was it like 10? I think like three. Okay. Yeah. So you remember a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was always just a part of my life. I thought that that was what was normal. Uh, I don't think until I was older and like went to a sleepover where I was like, oh, why is your dad not passed out on the floor? It's like <laughs> 8pm, you know, like, they're like, Stephanie, that's not normal. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, he always worked, provided for the family. My mom stayed home and took care of us. Uh, she was very loving. She did the best that she could, but, um, I mean, was it just drinking or did your dad like get like was he drinking to get drunk? Oh, then again, you say he was passing out. Do you remember him like kind of acting like a fool at all? Or oh yeah, yeah. He would get really shit-faced. Uh <laughs> he would have friends over while he was babysitting me and my brother. And whenever that would happen, he would kind of kick us out of the house so he could party with his friends and um I would always kind of have to gauge to see like what mood dad was going to be in. Like what dad am I going to get? Is it the, the fun, happy dad? Is it the melancholy dad? Or is it the like angry about anything kind of dad? And he never like got violent with us, but he would do the fear, intimidation, yelling stuff. Um, but my mom was very adamant about, you know, him not putting his hands on us, which I'm very thankful for, because uh, things could have been a lot worse. But um, it it was really frustrating, you know, like I would see other kids with their dads and like I didn't have that relationship. I didn't know, you know, if it was something that I did wrong and I think I internalized that for a lot was like oh I I'm not good enough to get his attention but the beer is so maybe I should you know drink like that uh see what what it's all about (laughs) yeah isn't it terrible that that's where our mind goes a lot of times as children that we're not good enough so sad 
Yeah. And I think like later on, I kind of realized that that had such an impact on, you know, how I behaved as an adult, um, becoming a people pleaser and going out of my way to make sure that everybody else is taken care of and kind of doing things that I, I wouldn't particularly do, uh, to make other people happy. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it kind of, it had a huge, huge impact. Um, we tried to get him to go to detox finally, like two months ago. And like my inner child was like, why is it taking you so long to do this? Like my life could have been so different if you like got it together when I was younger. Um, but then also like, I finally got to a point in my life where I like who I am and what I do. So it's that whole, like, would I change the things that I've gone through? Mm, There's some things that I, I could live without, like, you know, seeing my dad chase my cat around with a knife because he was drunk and mad at the cat Uh, or (laughs) passing out on the floor and me and my brother hog tying him with socks, (laughs) you know, like just, fun stuff because yeah we were living with an alcoholic but um yeah so I mean my mom kind of always made it the best that she could but she would enable him a lot and I see that more now as an adult than I did as a child what Um, kind of things was she doing to enable him So like she would always drive him places so he wouldn't get DUIs. She would put him to bed. She would kind of monitor how much he was drinking, uh, things like that. Pick him up from work if he started drinking at work. Um, And just, you know, making excuses for why he's doing what he was doing. Like I was always told, oh, you know, your dad works hard. So that's how he relaxes. He comes home and he drinks and that's how he relaxes. And so I kind of internalized that thought too, of when I grow up and I work hard, then I'm going to come home and I can relax by drinking. Like that's what adults do. Um, And then for a while, I kind of had this resentment. I I had that thought of like, I'm never going to be like him. I don't want to be like him. until high school. (laughs) Uh, So, well, real quick, before you go to high school, what was school like for you as a child? Did, I mean, did this affect you when you were outside of the house as well? So, I mean, he wouldn't come to school events, social events, things like that. um, Because Yeah, or, you know, he couldn't drink while he was there. So, uh, and also, like, financially, like, I couldn't afford the nice clothes that everybody had and things like that. Um, Yeah, couldn't really do sports all the time because sometimes, you know uniforms are expensive and you have to pay all these fees so you can do sports. Um, So it did kind of impact that. um, I didn't really have friends come to my house for like sleepovers or birthday parties or stuff. Uh, I tried to 
go to their house instead. Um, and I think my mom kind of encouraged that also because she didn't want people to see how he was, which contributes to the enabling. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think I was just frustrated. Like I did softball and I really wanted him to be there. I wanted him to be proud of me and I didn't get that. I didn't have that kind of support, which I mean, I don't know. Daddy issues, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I, I technically have daddy issues as well. Yeah. They might be different than yours, but I got issues with my father. The thing was with me, I guess I was kind of lucky. I mean, then again, he was abusive, but he never did any drugs or alcohol. Oh, was, okay. Yeah, that was the one thing, but he was still an asshole. <laughs> yeah. I remember one time I thought to myself, I wish he was an alcoholic, only so this way he'd have an excuse for the bullshit he put me through. Oh, yeah. Because in my mind, he's got no excuse. He doesn't right. have mental illness. He doesn't have a lot of the stuff I deal with. Mm-hmm. But so enough about me. As we're going back to you, you said going, going into high school. How was that? Yeah. So when I was in like the third grade we moved to my grandmother's house, which was in a very affluent town. And because we were low income. Um, and you moved in with grandma? It was financial stuff. I don't and care. then, yeah. And then I think my mom wanted to be closer to her father and stuff. So, um, so we moved there and that had like a really big impact because there was a lot of affluent kids at school. So I got kind of bullied for not having nice clothes and stuff like that. Um, so when I finally got to high school, we had like a regional high school. So there were like five different towns. They all came together. And I was like, oh my God, people that I can actually be friends with because there's other like kids that don't have all this rich shit. <laughs> and um I mean, high school is that whole, like, trying to figure out where you fit in, uh, self-exploration. Um, I think that's when I started experimenting, uh, definitely, like, started drinking. I would steal my dad's beer. Um, but in my mind, I was drinking for fun. I wasn't drinking to cope with things. I was doing it to be with my friends and hang out and do fun stuff, uh, rather than just getting absolutely wasted. Um, and it, it progressed. I think the people that I started hanging out with were a bunch of hippies, which was cool. Um, but like, there was a whole lot of stuff that I was introduced to, and uh, I was not hesitant to say no to it because I found that escape. I found that I don't have to feel anything. I don't have to worry when I'm doing this stuff. And, what kind of stuff? Um, like we would smoke a bunch of weed all the time and drink, and then psychedelics um yeah and then like later on it was like ecstasy and cocaine and um 
I think I've tried everything at least once, except for meth. Because uh, somehow in my mind, like, meth was just way too much. But, like, okay, yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'll do cocaine for days but why no meth is bad like um so yeah it it kind of progressed and it was it's crazy how it was like this slow progression like I didn't even kind of realize how bad it got um so when I was 17 I got into a car accident, rolled my Jeep, and got a DUI, Um, and that was the first time that I kind of, you know, had to do AA meetings, things like that. Um, I was totally against it. I was like, I'm 17. I'm not even old enough to legally go to a bar. Like, I'm not going to stop drinking, you know? Like, it was was a binge, and I'm fine. Um, So courts, legal stuff, lots of money. That was not fun. (laughs) Um, And it just like the destruction continued on and on. Uh, I found myself in like very toxic relationships. I didn't know what it was like to have a healthy relationship. I'd never really seen what that looked like. So Um, I was with people that I was associated with using with, um, and it got to a point, like I was, I was seeing a guy, um, and he was doing a lot more than I knew about. He was very secretive. Uh, he would like leave for days and I guess he was like using heroin and smoking crack and, I was the one at home paying the bills, working. He didn't have a job, uh, but, you know, love, right? (laughs) The things that we do. Um, And it became really abusive to the point that I was scared for my life. He um, stabbed me at a party. Oh, my God. uh, And... Um, what, you, got, you gotta like, tell us this, more about you gotta tell us more about that. What happened if you don't mind with the stabbing? So we were at a going away party for one of my friends that I worked with because he was going into the military. Okay. And um, you know, I was talking with friends and coworkers, and he got really jealous. Um so I had pepper spray on my keychain and he stole the pepper spray and sprayed a bunch of people in the face because he was mad and then smashed a table and was trying to stab a bunch of people. And while I'm trying to like get him away, he stabs me and where'd he stab you? Uh, like right here in the arm. I had to get like 26 stitches, I think. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Um so that was fun. <laughs> Sounds uh, like it. Yeah. And then, you know, we we stayed. I stayed. I don't I, I kept like saying, "Oh, it was an accident, but why would I want to continue to be with somebody that's that violent?" Um I mean, it's 
it's something that's very common because like we were just talking about before we started i've done over 80 interviews and obviously just doing what i do talk to a lot of people and so many people have codependency issues where mm-hmm. part of my language again shit on by the other person but i had i had the same problem my ex-girlfriend would reduce me to tears and i'd go to her to feel better like i need a hug now it's like what how psychotic does that sound Someone right. makes me feel awful. And then I go back to them within an hour, like make me feel better. Or we just, it was, you know, a, a relationship based on sex or something like that. It was just, it was just, it was, it was psycho. Like I look back now that I'm sober. I'm like, dude, that was crazy. Yeah. Going back to the ones that hurt us the most. Yeah. It, it was, it was scary. Um, the abuse was progressive. Uh, I think the first time that I really realized it was, uh, we had friends over and he got mad about something and grabbed me by my hair and dragged me into the bedroom and locked me in there. (laughs) And I was like, what the, (laughs) like, did this just really happen? Um, and then it got more physical. I broke his hand. So I, I mean, I did get like some good stuff in, yeah. not that that's anything to brag about, but <laughs> I at least like defended myself at times. Um, but it got really, really scary. I left, I moved back with my parents and he came to my house in the middle of the night, loosened the lug nuts on my tire and my tire fell off while I was driving. Holy shit. So after that, that must have been really scary. Yeah, yeah, that was. I was like, I I need to get out of here because if I stay, he's gonna he's gonna kill me pretty much. So, like a month later, I moved to Myrtle Beach. I had to get out of there, Um, which was <laughs> kind of the big start of like things getting out of control like really badly um I went down there for vacation I got myself set up with a job I got an apartment I was like I'm gonna do this right and um after like a year everything just crumbled. I think I moved to like five different houses, um, a bunch of different jobs. I was drinking all the time. I was doing things for money that, uh, aren't particularly nice. Um, not your your proudest moments. No, like, I mean, that's another common story. Yeah, like I I had to pay my bills. It was a very um, party town. So in the summer, it was go, 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 fast money. Uh, I was like waitressing and cooking. And then once the winter hits, it's dead and they fire people, you know, because they don't need that many employees. And I sat there and I was like, I don't have anything right now. Uh, So like... One of my friends was like, Hey, come with me. You can work at the strip club. And I was like, sure, let's, let's do this. Why not? Um, cause if I don't pay my bills, I'm going to end up like living on the street. And I, I wasn't ready to do that. Um, I always wondered about, did I get into that, any bit of the sex trade? I mean, it takes, I guess, a certain bit of confidence to get in front of 
all those people naked. I, I can't imagine doing that. Like that is that to me would scare the shit out of me. What are they gonna think? Blah blah blah. You know, all yourself issues, whatever you call it, you know, with most people that aren't too proud of their bodies, problem that a lot of us have. That must have been hard. So, I mean, I kind of sought validation from sex that was um I wanted to please people. I wanted people to like me. And I found that sleeping with people made them like me. Uh, So for me, sex was like a tool and um, it wasn't that hard when you can drink on the job and do copious amounts of cocaine, (laughs) you know, you're just like, okay, whatever. Uh, But there, there's definitely some people who, um, I don't know. I, I remember this one guy was like, what does your daddy think about you? <laughs> and I, in my head, I'm like, you don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> why do you think I'm here? I have daddy issues. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, That's great. Yeah. So I think that was like the low. That was where I hit my bottom at that point. Um, my dad had got hurt at work and my mom asked me if I would move home. So I moved back to Massachusetts and stayed with them. I was like, I'm going to get it together this time. I'm going to do it this time. I was like 24. Um, I went to school for medical assisting. I was dead set. I'm going to be a nurse. I'm going to do all this stuff. Graduated with high honors. Uh, I was like really proud of myself. Um, And once I had a degree, I was like, okay, I want to move back to Myrtle Beach because now I have a, a skill where I'm not just in the food industry. I'm not going to get fired in the winter. I will have a job and move back down there. And once again, was working in the food industry. Um, Real quick, what was, because it sounds like drinking a lot. What was your drug of choice? Was it alcohol? Alcohol. And then uh, for a long time, it was like alcohol and cocaine, but also that's while another I was drinking, common thing I hear. Another common combination is most people say to me, "I was a drinker and I did a lot of cocaine." For some reason, those two tend to go hand in hand. I'm not sure why. Because you can drink longer. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, yeah. Unless you, uh, even if you're blacked out, you still can drink the whole night. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I went back to Myrtle. And it was just a a party every night. I always had a job. I always made sure I had a house or an apartment or a place to live. Um, So you became just like your father, a functioning addict who paid the bills. Right, exactly. And my mentality was like, well, I don't have anybody else to take care of. The only person I have to worry about is myself. I don't have kids. I don't have anything but me. So I'm not hurting anybody but myself. Um, But little did I realize, like, the days I wouldn't answer my phone, my mom was like, I would look on your social media because I didn't know if you disappeared, if you were dead or anything like that. Um, So that was kind of shitty on my part like now that I think back on it I was like oh my god I can't imagine my kid doing that to me now that I have one uh that would really break my heart um yeah so 
I mean, once again, Myrtle Beach, it was toxic relationships and, um, I, I had had like two serious relationships throughout, uh, my life before moving to Myrtle and they kind of messed me up really bad. So I got to the point where I was like, I just don't want that. And because Myrtle is such a vacation spot, there's new people there every single week. So I was waitressing and people would come in and, um, they'd be like, Hey, where's a cool place to go? And I was like, Oh, if you buy me drinks, I'll take you out and show you everything. Uh, so it was a win-win because I got free drinks all night. Um, and I think back on it and I was like, I could have died. I just like went with strangers, got in their car, like, like it was nothing just because I wanted free alcohol. Um, go to their hotel rooms. Like I didn't know if they were single, married, you know, what their, their status was. And I didn't care. And that was kind of how bad the addiction was, was I just, I wanted what I wanted and I didn't care who I hurt during the process. I don't think I really thought about who I hurt in the process. So you sounds like you were just craving attention. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely was like I I wanted that power, kind of to feel wanted, to feel desired. Um, I lacked that definitely as a child, so I sought it out, especially with men. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, I don't know. And and it was so easy to do it at the beach. Like it really was. It was always there. And they would leave. So I wouldn't have to worry. But I think later later on I was like 27. Um I was working at a steakhouse and started dating one of the bartenders he was way way older than me way older than me but he sold cocaine so um you know i i made the compromise of like eh, what's what's the age difference no big deal like mm, free cocaine all the time or like sounds like a good deal to me right yeah yeah and you know, he was kind of happy to have a young girlfriend, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was definitely a very toxic relationship. Um, I was never like 100% committed to him. Like I told him I was, but I always did whatever the hell I wanted. Um, and it was... It was pretty crazy. So that's when, you know, the cocaine got really bad. The drinking got even worse. He would enable me. I didn't have a license. I didn't drive. Um, and. You think he was doing of... it to keep you around? Um, like, let me keep her high and she'll stay with me. 
I guess to a degree, but at the end he was sick of my bullshit. So <laughs> he was like, I'm done with you. And I was like, what? <laughs> 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 what do you mean? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. He got sick of me. What so, kind of bullshit? What kind of bullshit would you put him through? Just like blackout, drunk, pass out places. We went to the House of Blues for a concert and he had to have somebody help him carry me out because I got absolutely wasted and passed out. Um, yeah, it was, it was bad. Uh, so I was with him. We split up things got kind of rocky then because I didn't have free drugs anymore. So I was, uh, doing things for drugs that I didn't think I would do ever. (laughs) Um, and then I started working on a casino boat, which was pretty cool but my drinking really escalated then I wasn't doing as much cocaine but I I was drinking a lot and um I think that's when I finally kind of hit my bottom I know that there were bottoms all throughout you know it it didn't I was in detox. I went to rehab for 30 days. I kept going to AA meetings. I would have bouts of sobriety for like, I think my longest was like six months, but in my head, it was, I'm young. And the thought of me never drinking again, scares the shit out of me. You know, Uh, I didn't learn good coping skills. I didn't have a good support system. So I kept going back out like, oh, I'm not as bad as these other people. I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. And justifying why I was drinking. And at that point, I was like, I know that I'm an alcoholic. I know. I absolutely 100% know that I am. And I was not ready to stop. Um, So it took me meeting my husband to kind of get me there. Um, We were staying in a condo together and my drinking How did you guys meet? You said you're staying in a condo. How did that happen? So he was on the casino boat gambling (laughs) and I was the uh, kitchen manager. So like I would walk around, um, bringing food to people's table and stuff like that. And one of the bartenders introduced me to him. Uh, she was like, oh, he'll take care of you. you. You won't have to worry about stuff. He'll take care of you. And I was like, eh, I, I'm, I'm not really worried about that. Um, but we started dating and he was tired of driving he was in North Carolina so it was like a two-hour drive to get to the casino boat so we just got a place together and um I was doing a lot of blackout drinking like would wake up on the floor uh he would have to like carry me to bed um and one night I drank two bottles of wine and uh just 
I wasn't fun anymore. I wasn't the fun drunk. I wasn't the happy drunk. I turned into the mean drunk and I would like start fights and I started a fight with him and I woke up the next morning and he was gone and he was like, well, you need to choose either alcohol or me. And I was like, hi, (laughs) you're not going to tell me what to do. Nobody tells me what to do. Uh, And like two weeks later, I was sitting there like really thinking, this is the only person who has ever thought that I could do better, wanted me to do better, wanted to help me be like the best that I could be. And I just told him to leave. Like, is that really what I want? Um, so I called him and we talked and he said he would give me a chance. Um, and that was like the start of my sobriety. I, I got to that point where I was just, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to be this person anymore. I'm tired of you know, not having people that actually truly care about me. I'm tired of burning the candle at both ends. I'm tired of not having security and love and a healthy relationship. So um, it was scary. (laughs) It was difficult. I basically had to learn everything. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard like the the age that you start drinking when you get sober, you kind of revert back to that age because you haven't really taken the time to develop and grow as a person. So um, I had to learn how to communicate. I didn't know what a healthy relationship was like. We would get into like small arguments and I would shut down and try and walk away. And he's like, that's not how this works. And I was like, what do you mean that's not how this works? Um, It's like, no, we need to talk about stuff. We need to come to a resolution. And that was such a foreign concept to me that I didn't know how to do it. Um, I had to learn what I liked, what I wanted to do because my life just revolved around like going to the club and drinking and I just felt like empty. I didn't know what, what I liked. I didn't know what to do. So I tried everything. I tried knitting and sewing and gardening and reading and I don't even know, like just anything I could coloring and trying to paint. Um, cause I didn't know what I, what I liked. I didn't know who I was. Um, but we had to move away from Myrtle beach because there was no way I could have got sober there. No way. It was too much of a party lifestyle. There was too much craziness going on. The people were kind of toxic. Um, and it really was an environment that just fostered drinking. So we moved to the middle of nowhere, North Carolina, (laughs) and I didn't know anybody. There wasn't any bars to go to. Um, and it was really hard. Like I, I cried a lot, a lot. I think I, I clearly remember laying on the floor in the bathroom 
crying and kicking my feet. Like I was a toddler and my husband was like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, I just want to drink. I just, I don't want to feel anything right now. I just want to drink. And it was really, really hard to overcome that because I didn't have any other coping skills. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, that, that was, uh, that was pretty rough, but I, I powered through it. I think I was just sober. I wasn't in recovery. Uh, I didn't go to any meetings. I didn't have any support. It was just me and my husband and he got sober when I did too. He didn't really have an issue drinking. Um, but he was addicted to gambling and like the last day that I was on the casino boat, um, he was playing poker and lost like five grand. Uh, (laughs) so (laughs) yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was crazy. And, you know, his mood was determined by what was in his wallet. So that kind of had a really big impact on our relationship. So we kind of sat down and spoke about that too, of like, I'm making these changes in my life. So I think, you know, you should make some changes too. But um, it wasn't long after that. I mean, we, it seemed like everything just happened all at once. Like I got pregnant, we bought a house, we got married, then we had my son Uh, I decided to go back to school. I was going to go for nursing and I went, apparently you have to have a CNA in North Carolina before you can do nursing school. So I went through the entire course and went to go do my externship and they were like, oh, you, you can't do it here because of your background check. Um, and I was very upset. Like I was top of the class, um, but because I had a DUI on my background, they were like, no. So my teacher convinced them to like, let me finish and get credit for the course, but it impacted my ability to go to nursing school, which was what I was kind of dead set on doing. And I was at this point in my life where I was like, my past is catching up on me. And it's giving me all these roadblocks, but I don't want to give up. So I said, F you, I am going to be your boss. (laughs) I'm going to get a degree where I can be the boss of a nurse. Like, you're not going to tell me that I can't get an education just because I was, you know, crazy as a child. (laughs) So that's what got me into uh, social work. I went to um, Fayetteville State University, got my bachelor's degree. Then I went to University of North Carolina at Pembroke and got my master's. And um, during all of that, I kind of got into the recovery community. I started facilitating smart recovery meetings. I did the training for that. And we kind of established like three meetings in Fayetteville. And um, I got the actual recovery, 
like working on myself, working on bettering who I was, learning how to cope with things. And um, so now here I am, a uh, substance abuse counselor, a mental health therapist, um, eight and a half years of sobriety. So it was a, it was a big shift, a big change. Um, I love what I do. It's great. I think that a lot of my clients can kind of connect with me because I'm pretty transparent about my own addiction and uh, what I've gone through. So it helps them kind of relate and they're more open about what they have going on and honest with me. Um, I don't know if you've ever gone to therapy before, but it's kind of uncomfortable to sit with somebody who's just staring at you writing on a piece of paper and not engaging. (laughs) So I try to like engage a lot, do like critical thinking and um, empowering people. But it was, it was hard. It was very, very hard, but I'm glad that I can kind of be an inspiration to other people of like, just because you were in that, position doesn't mean you can't do anything with your future so yeah (laughs) that's great so you sound like you're doing good yeah yeah um so I have two two jobs I work at um uh medical assisted treatment for opioid addiction and then also mental health and do therapy there and yeah, it's, uh, it's great. It's, it's interesting to kind of hear other people's story. Cause I get to, to hear that all the time. We go more in depth. I definitely agree with the whole childhood experiences stuff where we do internalize things. Like you were saying the, I'm not good enough, um, and molds and shapes our behaviors based on what we've gone through um and then trying to to find who you are like what you are for a long time I did not like who I was I hated myself and I it was like two months ago I was talking with a client and I was like you just you know we we need to get you to a point where you like yourself I like myself and in my head I was like did I just say that I like myself? Like, what the fuck? (laughs) So it's funny that you were talking about loving yourself. So we have four pillars in the Addicts Anonymous program. And the first one is to go self-love, discipline, hard work, and community. Those are the four things to build upon. The first one is self-love. It's so true. If, If you can't get to a point where you love yourself, there's no reason to get better. You, you get better because you say, I love myself and I want to be a better person and I don't want to be miserable. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's huge because you have to do it for, for you. I see that all the time is like, whether you're court ordered to come into treatment, if if you don't have that drive and desire to want to be better, it's, it's a struggle. Um, like throughout my drinking was, I was in and out of AA. I was in and out of detox and rehab and um I just wasn't ready I didn't want it everybody else wanted it but me and it took me 
to want it to actually get it. But it sounds like you got it, so that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. But I have to like continually work on it. Um, I like the smart recovery. I've never kind of been to the Addicts Anonymous. I think that or what is the yeah yeah we're Addicts Anonymous. I would love to like look into that. Um, I think you know who whatever helps you get sober exactly is I'm, what you need to do yeah on my website so I, I, exactly everyone needs whatever resource like so even if you go to my resources page we have stuff for aa na gamblers anonymous overeaters anonymous because i know my program is at the end all sale that some people right. might like it some people might only use it but some people are going to be using this smart recovery alcoholics anonymous narcotics anonymous they might mix the a few yeah with, and I think that's perfect because I mean, to each their own, like everybody has different stuff. I kind of resonated with that because I never connected with the whole higher power thing. So it was the science-based side of it. And because I'm like down with psychology and irrational behaviors and thoughts and beliefs that that kind of was what stuck with me. Um, But I, I still will sit in an, AA meeting every now and then when I know that I need that support and I need to be reminded like this could happen to you again you know if you don't stay diligent and make sure that you take care of yourself like addiction could slip back in because you know there's people who have had long-term sobriety that will relapse and I just don't want to be that person I hope I'm not going to be that person um one day at a time. So, yeah, yeah. I have um, my boss at my other job. He is in recovery also. And one thing that he says that really kind of sticks out with me is, you know, when you're in recovery, you build all these monuments. Like, you, you take these steps, and then these things happen. And while you're going through that, you're building all these moments in time. And when you think about relapse, you think about wanting to use, you know, think about those monuments that you're going to have to walk back past in order to get where you are. And is it worth it to go and regress? And I think that that's huge because it does. I think, I mean, even after eight and a half years, there's times where I get so overwhelmed and so frustrated. And I'm like, I just want to get drunk. And then I get mad at myself because I'm like, why is that the first thing that I go to? Why is that? But it's like this internal automatic, like that's that instant gratification. It's that instant. I don't have to feel anything right now. And I think like, if I did look at all the stuff that I would lose, look at all the progress that I've made. Is it worth it for me to feel like that, to do that? No, absolutely not. Um, yeah but the thought still crosses my mind every now and then (laughs) I don't know about you how what about you like do you ever have those moments where you're just like I've been lucky I I never I haven't had a craving yet one time yeah one time when I was moving I was like oh maybe you could celebrate that night you move into your new place but I caught myself real fast Mm -hmm. because it wasn't it wasn't a real thought because I would have never done like I'm at a 
I don't know what I am. I don't know if I'm a full moon addict or just an abuser, but I think I'm, because I've read that there's a difference, that there's addicts and then there's drug abusers or substance abusers where if you give them a reason to get sober, they can. <clears throat> They'll still go through withdrawal. They still need detox and all that stuff, but they might be the one person or one of the few people that can quit the first time around and stay quit or the addict who relapses or just battles the rest of their life. So I don't know which one I am. I'm still pretty new to recovery, only two years. So I'm still trying to figure myself out. <clears throat> yeah. So what what was your drug of choice? Oh, I, I liked a lot of stuff. I was lucky that I never got into IV stuff, but I like, you know, painkillers, Adderall, Klonopin, ecstasy, cocaine. For the last 10 years of my drinking and drugging career, I was drinking hardcore, like every night, like a bunch of shots of whiskey and bourbon, and popping that with Klonopin and mixing them up, then throwing in Adderall. So I was, I liked a bunch of stuff. Yeah. 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 And I would mix bad stuff, like the wrong combination. I'm surprised I'm alive. Those, those booze and benzos are a dangerous mix. <laughs> yep. Yes, they are. And, yeah. Yeah. I was in detox and I was asking another uh, patient. I was like, oh, so what was your, you know, drug of choice? And he was like, Klonopin cocktails. And I was like, <laughs> what's that? And he was like, you know, you just put a couple in some whiskey and I was Take like, the shot. What? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, cause I was prescribed them. And I think at one point I was prescribed three per day. So I would try not to take them during the day and then pop all three and then start drinking. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was an idiot. Blackout city. Blackout. Oh city. yeah, exactly. I didn't, did you know how many times I woke up? Like, what did I do last night? Who did I text? What did I say? Did I say anything horrible to my ex-girlfriend? Stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I think those blackouts were kind of the scariest. Uh, I've definitely woken up next to people I didn't remember going home with. Uh, yeah, that's one of the things. That, like, yeah. You immediately, like, you wake up and you're like, what? holy shit what did I do yeah yeah and who did I do it with <laughs> and like how do I get home um see I didn't have my license so when I was drinking I would always be like can you bring me home but in my mind it was like take me to my house in their mind it was take me to their house <laughs> <laughs> so I would like, oh, my house isn't that way. And they're like, no, we're going to mine. <laughs> and I was too like messed up to kind of say otherwise. Um, it, yeah, it got, it got pretty, pretty scary. Uh, yeah. But it was, it was just the addiction. I mean. All that matters is where you are right now. What yeah. What you're doing right now. And so my last question for you is, do you have any advice for people watching or listening based on your experiences? Mm. It's a big (laughs) one, right? Yes, that's a huge one. Um, Don't let the fear of dealing with your feelings be a reason why you continue to use 
I think that that's a huge thing. Like we will stop drinking or using for a couple of weeks. And then that's one of the biggest triggers is all these feelings come up because we haven't dealt with things for a really, really long time. And when we did feel those things, we would get high or drunk. So we didn't feel them. And I think that's one of the biggest barriers to recovery with people is, you know, you start feeling stuff and it's, it's heavy, it's heavy, but it's okay to feel things. It's okay to not be okay and reach out for help if you're feeling some type of way, but don't give in. Um, That and don't let your past define your future. I mean, I'm living proof you can turn a hoe into a housewife. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I never heard that one before. Yeah. So, yeah. It's good stuff. What's your advice for people? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Let me see. Stick with it. Like you said, just it it seems like an impossible task at first, but stick with it and it does get easier because I thought the same thing as you. Like when I thought I, I couldn't imagine a life without booze. It, I literally couldn't figure it out. Like, well, what am I going to do when I go to watch a movie? What am I going to do when I get home from work? What am I going to do when I wake up on Sundays and I'm all by myself? It was just like, what are you going to do? Because you're just so used to be drinking, passing out by early, like, you know, one, two in the afternoon getting up again, drinking till 10 o'clock at night. It's just a cycle, drinking and drugs. And if I wasn't drinking, I was, I was high on something all day, all night. So my advice would be stick with it. It gets easier and get all the support you can. Work a program. Doesn't have to be my program. Doesn't have to be AA or NA. Just find something that you can work and stick with that. I think that would be my advice. I have a shitload of advice, but that would be something that stands out right now. Yeah, I think that's good. Definitely. Definitely. But yeah, the that's support a good system is huge. Yeah, the support, there are support systems out there. That's another thing is you, you don't have to be alone if you don't want to be. If someone says I have to do this by myself, you know what I'd say that I'm right in face if I was a sponsor? Bullshit. Bullshit. Right. You can find someone to talk to you online, in person. You can find somebody, absolutely you can find somebody and just community. It's huge. That's one of the four pillars. Remember I was telling you the four pillars, the last one is community. You, you need to have the wrong people out of your life and you need to bring in the right people. Yeah. And that's a huge part of it is having someone you can call, whether it's your mom, brother, sister, or a sponsor or a fellow addict or just a friend, whatever it is. There's always somebody, don't get me wrong, I know there are people where they feel like they have nobody, so they may not have friends or family, but you can find a working professional or a peer support group to help you along. Nobody's ever been, nobody gets kicked out of an AA meeting, so show up. Right, yeah. You can say whatever you want. I did this, I did that. As long as you don't admit to killing someone, it stays there. Right, yeah. I. That's, that's huge. I... 
kind of went through this weird period when I got sober because I was such a social person. Like we would always drink at the bar together. And I had this like group of cohorts that we would always drink together and kind of like, Oh, you're buying tonight. And I'll buy this night. And I stopped drinking and they stopped talking to me. And I was like, I thought they were my friends, but they were just there. They were just Uh drinking buddies. Yeah. And that was a huge wake up call for me. Cause I was sitting here. I'm like, you don't even want to like, just talk to me. Like, yeah. I, yeah, that was, that was a hard pill to swallow. Cause I thought I had all these awesome people in my life, but they were just there to help me destroy myself. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. That was a great interview. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank you. I enjoyed talking and telling my story and kind of putting it out there that, you know, don't let your, your life circumstances determine what you can do with your future. For sure. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. No, of course. So for everyone listening and watching, if you like what you heard and saw, go below and subscribe. Also give us a like. And you can also check us out on a couple of platforms where we post stuff like Instagram, Twitter, Reddit. You can also check out our Facebook group. I highly suggest going to the events tab where you'll find a link to our nightly uh, Zoom meeting that we do. And you'll find all the sign-in information available. And that's all I have for today. So until next time.